This is Anthony Anarino, author of The Negativity Fast, Proven Techniques to Increase Positivity, Reduce Fear, and Boost Success, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Anthony Anarino to talk about his latest book, The Negativity Fast, Proven Techniques to Increase Positivity, Reduce Fear, and Boost Success, published by Wiley. Anthony Anarino is a reader, writer, author, speaker, entrepreneur, and a sales leader and trainer. His five previous books have been translated into 18 languages, and all of them have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast. Those books are The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, The Lost Art of Closing, Winning the Ten Commandments That Drive Sales, Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition, Elite Sales Strategies, A Guide to Being One-Up, Creating Value, and Becoming Truly Consultative, and most recently, Leading Growth, the proven formula for consistently increasing revenue, which I'd like to add is for sales leaders and managers who need to reach aggressive net new revenue goals through the efforts of their sales reps. And interesting fact, he has written a blog post every day since December 28th, 2009, except for the 13 days he spent in Tibet despite the fact that Basecamp 1 on Mount Everest had better Wi-Fi than his home in Columbus, Ohio. Anthony, congratulations on the Negativity Fast, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome back, friend. I knew this day would come. I need to know how many times have I been on and how much I need to catch up to get to Jeb. This will be your sixth time. And to catch up to Jeb Blunt, you need just one more book. Just one more book. And word is, Jeb Blunt is just terrified. And uh, he's, he's writing away. And I know you talk to him almost every day. So we just, we just talked a little bit ago, and we're writing a book together. Now what are you going to oh, do? Oh, man. That's going to have to be an extra special interview. I, you guys are going to be fighting it out to see who gets to, to come on. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a nice problem for me to have. But you know, you know, there's so much more to say about Anthony Anarino that in terms of interesting facts, we could have an entire bonus episode about just the interesting facts. Let me share a few for the listener's benefit. You made your first cold call when you were 15 years old. True. After high school, you moved to LA where you were the lead singer for a hair metal band, and you were a dead ringer for Anthony Kiedis, lead singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
And you later graduated from college and law school. Your brother is a stand-up comedian whom I've seen perform. You've undergone uh, brain surgery. Two. Two. Oh, I'm sorry. And you are a co-founder of the Outbound Conference, which I have attended twice. And for those who don't know about the Outbound Conference, it brings together sales professionals from around the world, and it's become one of the most respected events in the, the sales industry. You are capable of talking for over three hours on a single breath, something that has caused your teenagers to voluntarily surrender their car keys to avoid another lecture about character and avoiding poor choices, which is just just amazing. And in fact, I'm going to ask you one question about this book, and I'm just going to leave for about 45 minutes. But most significantly, Anthony Anarino, as I mentioned, is now a member of the Marketing Book podcast six timers club and there's only one other person that's in the marketing book podcast six timers club you share that distinction with another nice italian boy from ohio joe polizzi from cleveland wow founder of the content marketing institute you should introduce me to him i don't know him i know and you know what i've talked to joe and i said you have got to meet anthony he's you know over in columbus and i I think you guys would really enjoy meeting each other you're very different personalities but I think I think you would really enjoy uh, meeting each other. So, congratulations on uh, you know being a member of the Marketing Book Six Timers Club. All right. So, Anthony, years ago on Saturday Night Live, there was a segment hosted by Al Franken in the role of Stuart Smalley. I don't know if you ever you ever saw that. Of course, I did. So, this just so for folks who don't know about that segment, uh, this is how they would introduce uh, the Stuart Smalley show. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. And I, I just really enjoyed that show. I kind of related to him. And I have to admit that sometimes I fall into a pit of despair and negativity, you know, preparing for an interview. And sometimes I feel like what Stuart Smalley would sometimes say on his show. I'm a bad person. I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to cancel the show. I'm going to die homeless and penniless. I'm 20 pounds overweight. No one will ever love me. But this week was different, Anthony Anarino, because this week I read your book in preparation for this interview. Thank you for that. I read your book about how to deal with negativity. And this morning, this is how I felt. I'm going to do a terrific show today. And I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. So, Anthony, I just want you and the listeners to know one last thing about you. In your book, this book, in chapter 12, you wrote, and I quote, stupid people are one of my triggers. And yet, you've endured that hardship repeatedly by gritting your teeth and returning to this podcast and talking to me. And Anthony, I just want to say thank you for your service to the listeners. And to the listeners out there, please reach out to Anthony and thank him for what he does for you. I think we should clear up the stupid thing. So I, I think when people think that other people are stupid, you need to know the the de- definition of stupid. So this when somebody's stupid, what it means is they do something— that gives them no gain 
but causes other people to suffer. So that's what we mean when we say that. So it's not all the people that you think are stupid. It's just the ones that are causing other people to have problems and not even gaining anything from it. Oh, see, I'm so stupid. I, and now I remember reading that in the book. Gosh, idiot. All right, Anthony. Okay, enough comedy jokes. Are you ready to talk about your book? I believe I am. Okay. Let's do it. Seth Godin, as usual, hit the nail squarely on the head when he wrote about the negativity fast. The actual title of this book is The Positivity Buffet. It's a hands-on research-based and practical guide to taking control of how we see the world. If you value your freedom, independence, and responsibility, you'll be thrilled to give it a try. And I just want to read from the preface, a very short uh, excerpt here. As your guide for the negativity fast, my goal is to help you reduce the time you spend in a negative state and increase the time you are positive. At one time, I was terribly negative. To improve the quality of my life, I decided to remove the sources of negativity, including my own mindset. It helped me feel better and improved my outlook on life. I call this process the negativity fast. It worked, but I made a series of mistakes that I eventually corrected, including not doing fasting for long enough, not replying to negativity with positivity, and not recognizing that it is okay to be negative, but not all the time. Since then, I've developed a more structured approach to guide a 90-day negativity fast that anyone can adopt. I've wanted to write this book for a long time. After the pandemic, I felt I had no choice but to write it for people who recognize we are increasingly more negative than positive. It seems that the stress and anxiety of that tumultuous period are still present. Perhaps it has always been this way, and we needed that event amplified how prevalent negativity is today. Our time on earth is short, and you don't want to waste it being negative. Negativity can harm your mental health, your physical health, and your relationships with others. In fact, sometimes we infect other people, including those we love, with our negativity, spreading it to them. So Anthony, let me just start with the big question, and I will actually ask other questions along the way, but why are we negative? Why are people negative? How does that happen? Well, let, let's start with the beginning of this. So if we're going to talk about uh, negativity and its sources, I think the most important thing for people to understand at the beginning of this is that this is a science-based book. So I did a lot of reading, I did a lot of studying, did a lot of researching. But the first thing that you'll run into is this idea um, about a negativity bias. And what that means is we tend to be more negative than we are positive. And there's four parts to this. I'll give you the short version of this. Uh, negative events and emotions are stronger than positive ones. I don't know why that's true, but it's true. It's been studied, and we're just more negative than we are positive. And then this next one's called steeper negative gradients, and I don't know why they make it so fancy, but all it means is as some negative event or some something comes towards you, the closer you get, the more you start to focus on the negativity and the future events. 
Uh, the third one's called negative dominance. And if you ever read Thinking Fast and Slow, this is Kahneman's uh, research. If you lost $100 and then 15 minutes later you found $150, you would still be more unhappy about losing the 100 even though you're up $50. So that's called negative dominance. So a negative is going to always overpower a positive. And then the last one is negative differentiation. It just is processed in our brain differently. So our brain uses more resources. It reflects on these things. And it tries to process the negative events. And that is one of the reasons that we're so negative. And the reason that scientists think that this exists in human beings is because it protected us uh, in the Paleolithic time so we could be human beings at this particular time. And what they believe is that if you were optimistic, let's say you're going out to get something to eat as a Paleolithic hunter, and the thing that you're hunting is also uh, hunting you at the same time. So people who were really optimistic at that time uh, would have a lot of broken bones and a lot of scars, and they wouldn't last very long. So that's what they think this is for. It's to make sure that we can survive. And you talk about how negativity is biological, psychological, uh, sociological, uh, really front load a lot of the science as to why we're that way. And since you've written all these books about sales, the negativity bias, <laughs> you see it in sales all the time. The fear of loss is maybe 10 times greater than the fear of gaining something, as I recall. True. So let's talk about how we actually make it worse sometimes. You, know, uh, you have a chapter on talking yourself into a negative state. And I wanted you to explain one quote, which is, it, it is not a person or an event that causes you to be negative. Instead, it's your interpretation of those experiences. Explain. We are really, really good at talking ourselves into a negative state. I don't know what that voice sounds like for you, Doug. I have a feeling what it might sound like. But if you're talking yourself into this, this idea of I've got to be negative right now, uh, you can do that. You can also do the other, the other side of this. You can talk yourself out of it. But one of the things that I wrote here, which is true, is that I have a tough time when I have to fly to speak. And then I can't get home at the same time that I would want to because I live in Columbus, Ohio, and we don't have great, uh, we don't have a lot of choices to go far away. So let's put it like that way. And then I would be waiting at O'Hare for a plane that wasn't at the, at the, the, the right time in the right place. And then I would start talking myself into this. And my, my voice would say something like, uh, you can't do this on five hours sleep. Like you're not going to be productive at all. And, and it would just keep saying these things to me. And then I would- Because it was going to throw off your next day and all your plans and- Yeah, everything. It's going to be ruined, right? And then I would just listen to that. And uh, one day I called my wife and I said, um, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be great tomorrow. I got a lot of stuff to do. And uh, I was just complaining, which is not great for you if you don't want to be negative. And she said- what would you be doing if you had two hours with nothing to do? And I said, I'd be reading a book. And she said, why don't you read a book? And I said, I don't have a book. And she said, walk into the airport and go get a book. <laughs> Problem solved, right? 
Now I'm like, of course, I would love to read a book. I'd love to have two hours to read a book, and I read a book. But you can talk yourself in and out of these things just because of what you're saying to yourself. And if you decide that you're going to have a tough time the next day, that'll probably be true. If you decide that you're not going to be productive, that will probably be true. All these things that you tell yourself will be true if you let them be true. Or you can go the other direction and say, even if I get five hours sleep, I'm going to be good enough to get these things done tomorrow morning. No one's going to know the difference except me and that sort of thing. And you can talk yourself out of it if you want to. You don't have to be in a negative. Uh, uh, I would. You don't need to be negative. You just don't have to. Mm-hmm. There's a, enough people that give you negativity or make you feel that way anyway or walk around being negative. You don't need to be one of them. It brought to mind a quote from Martha Washington that I discovered once when I was visiting Mount Vernon, the home of George and Martha Washington, and it always stuck with me. Here it is. It's, I am determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may find myself. For I have learned that the greater part of our misery or unhappiness is determined not by our circumstance, but by our disposition. How does negativity come from fear? I, I would tell you, if you would look beyond what you be, what, what is negative for you and look behind that and see what it is. So when you say something like, well, I'm not going to be productive tomorrow, that's I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen or I'm not going to be able to do this thing that I promised I was going to do. It's almost always some fear. And there's two types of fear I, I find. So one is the thing that you are afraid of. And then the other is taking the action that you need to take. And you're going to pick one of those two fears. So one of those fears will have you afraid and thinking that you can't do something. And then the other fear is the fear of not trying and doing something. And most of the time, that's enough for you. That's interesting. One of the most helpful things from the book was where you said you never have to worry about the opinion of people who are not going to attend your funeral. Right. That's almost everyone on earth. <laughs> right. Now, if it's the person that you would want to uh, give your eulogy, man, maybe that one, you want to spend some more time with that person and make sure that uh, you have time to convince them to say that you were actually the ninth man to stand on the moon or something like that, whatever you're going to put in your obituary. You know you can write whatever you want in there, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, you yes. can you could say all kinds of things if you want to, but you need somebody to go along with it and say it out loud for you. You just don't have to worry about what other people think about you because they mostly don't think about you at all number 1. And if they're not going to be at your funeral, they're really not that important to you because the people that love you and care about you are going to be at your funeral. And that, that's how it works. So I don't know why people spend so much time focusing on the people that don't like them or people that they don't think likes them. But I, I think you can just give that up. It's one of these things like, it's hard to say something like this. Just let it go. It's hard to, for, for people to do that, even though that's the right thing to do. It's like, mm-hmm. don't worry about that person. I found that it's easier uh, the older you get, uh, particularly as it relates to True. people not only do they not care, <laughs> they're not even paying attention, as you just said. It's so true, but I guess I had to get knocked around in the uh, the journey of life to, to slowly start to understand that. Let's talk about if we can talk ourselves into a negative state, can we also talk ourselves out of a negative state? 
Oh, uh, you did. Yeah, there's there's scientific research that says yes, you can. You can use your uh, positive affirmations. I prefer it if you didn't do it in the voice of uh, Al Franken, but if you want to, uh, I wouldn't stop you. Right. Daily yeah, affirmation. You, he's great. <laughs> Franklin's a, a very good comic. Yes, and good enough to become a U.S. senator, I might add. And then not to be one, too, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sometimes uh, humor goes too far. Well, okay. You can start telling yourself that this is going to be difficult for me, but I'm going to succeed anyway. Uh, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. I mean, you can tell yourself those things. Your mind will believe whatever you keep saying over and over again. If mm -hmm. you keep saying it's true starts to become true. Either one of these, you can pick which side you want. If you want the side that is positive, you can say things that will make you positive. I don't think that there's an upside for being negative. Uh, you can be negative. When something bad happens, you shouldn't pretend like something bad didn't happen. You should uh, deal with it if you can. And if the right thing for you to do is to be negative about something that happened, uh, that's perfectly fine because it is negative and that means that's probably the right response for that but if it's something that's just in your head and you don't decide to say i'm going to make some affirmations that i can believe are true um i wake up motivated i do i wake up at four o'clock in the morning and by 5 30 i have a thousand word blog post and i've taught myself that I can get right out of bed, doesn't matter, and I can write a thousand words every single day now for almost 14 years. I just keep going. But I tell myself things that are are helpful, and I try not to say anything to me that I wouldn't say to somebody else. So I wouldn't want to discourage anybody, and I don't want to discourage me either. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go just a little bit further on that. Can you explain self-talk and inner dialogue? which I think a lot yeah. of people might think are maybe the same thing, but how they're actually two ends of a continuum. I am more self-talk than internal dialogue. So I'll, I'll tell you the difference here. Self-talk is you're trying to figure out how to do some sort of a task or a go-focused thing, and you're talking to yourself about it. And that self-talk is self-reinforcement. So it's something where you're talking about I, this is like, I can do this. Um, I can do this, but I'm going to need more time. Something like that. That's a positive way to do that. Uh, the internal dialogue is way more complex, and it has more than one I in it. It's got the I that's you, and then it tends to be uh, confrontational for us. But it also means that we're also thinking about other people. And so if you said something like... Um, trying to think about this. I have to think about what I said there. Something about like, if you're going to get started on this project, um, you should probably get your exercise done first, because when you don't do that, you aren't, you don't do the work that you're capable of or something like that. Uh, that's a thing that you're having, but there's more eyes that you're considering in that. Uh, this um, comes from a number of, of different sources, but one of them is Ethan Cross, who wrote a book about um, this self-talk that we have. And it's a very, very good book, and it explains to you some of the things that we think that we should be doing about self-talk that is not actually true. So one of those ideas 
um, is when you are talking to yourself, um, if you're winding yourself into a, a negative, uh, let's say just a negative uh, attitude, uh, the better thing to do is to just figure out what you can do and then go do that because that's the best choice. So instead of having this dialogue over and over again, you just go try to deal with it directly. And that's really the best thing that you can do. But we've been told, like, look at it, start to think about this thing, write down some notes on that. And Cross would tell you, just go do the work uh, to fix whatever's broken. And that's the best thing that you can do in these situations. It's funny, you brought to mind in that section of the book for me, the idea of how companies should never fire employees on a Friday. Because if they have to fire people, they should do it on a Monday so that people can start to take action right away and not stew in their own juices all weekend and start having this really uh, much more dangerous self-talk. I would tell you, uh, no one should ever be surprised by being let go ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a terrible thing to do to a human being. There's only three things that you can do when you have an employee you have to get rid of. You can coach them and develop them and see if that works. You can move them into a role that they're better suited for, or you can replace them. But if you're going to replace them for me, give them time to go find that job before they, they need that job. Mm. So I would say that's the, the kindest and most compassionate way, if you have to get rid of somebody, is give them a head start so they can go find that job without having to go home and tell their family they don't have any money. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about empathy. Uh, you write in Chapter 3, if you're going to lie to yourself, you may as well tell the kind of lie that improves your life by making you less negative. And we started to touch on some of that. And you talk about how one way to reduce your stress is to lie to yourself about why people do things that bother you. And actually, that's the part I think that was uh, talked about your brother. The, the yeah. comedian. Talk about that. Yeah, Jake is uh, an interesting guy. You've you've seen him in uh, person uh, doing comedy. Um, Jake has to drive long distances to do a show. Uh, he's a comedian. And then he has to drive to another one. So he's always on the road. And he was really upset about the way that people drive. So he had a little road rage himself. And he noticed that a lot of other people have some road rage, too. And uh, at one time, somebody was trying to cut in front of him, and he looked at his face and he realized that this guy had, let's say, a certain amount of pressure that made him uncomfortable around his bladder. And when he noticed that, that face, he realized he has that same problem too, like he's too far away from a rest stop. Mm -hmm. And he decided to tell himself, everybody that's driving bad is simply really needs a bathroom. That's it. So that's what he told himself. And then from that point on, he just lets everybody go in front of him. Now, do they really have to go to the bathroom? Who knows? How, how could you know? You have no way of knowing. But he just goes ahead and lies to himself. And he has this empathy for this person who probably needs to get to a, a rest stop. And as soon as he told me that story, I said, you finally made it into one of my books. I mean, I've not said anything about you up until now, but now you gave me something that's actually worthwhile. But you can do this all the time. And I took my wife uh, to Chicago, and while we were going to the airport, um, I have one of these fancy cars that's got a lot of AI in it, 
and it will stop you if uh, somebody cuts you off. It'll like just lock the brakes, and it's uh, it's jarring, and I don't particularly like it. But somebody came out in front of me, and we just stopped dead, which always worries me about the people behind me when that happens. And I said, you know what? She's late for work. She's already been written up three times. This is probably her last chance. And that's why she was driving that way. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if any of that's true, but who cares, right? Yeah, look what, how uh, it helped you. Yeah. Look so, how it helps Jake. Like, yeah, it, it helps you. If somebody cuts you off or if they jump in front of you when you're trying to pay for your groceries, whatever it is, just look at that and say, that person has something going on that caused them to do that, that I can't see or understand, but I can make something up about that. They're really in a hurry to get home. Maybe they're, they've got one of their kids are sick and they needed soup. I don't know. Like you can tell yourself whatever you want. But if you start by believing that people are trying to be malicious and harm you, uh, you will be very, very negative. So you want to get away from that and just have proactive empathy. Anytime anything happens, just say that person would have done better, but they're not in a state where they can do that right now and let it go. And if you count how many times you'll do that throughout the week, it will be a lot more times than you think uh, you you will be able to count up to. Watch watch and see. If you try this, you're going to go, I probably have nine or ten of these every week where somebody does something that I can't understand, but I don't need to understand. All I need to know is I've not been harmed. I can just keep going on with my life. I don't have to worry about this person again. Yes, two more lines from that chapter that just really stuck with me. One of them is, you may believe that others are pushing your buttons, but you are pushing these buttons yourself. And the other one is, the only person you have some control over is you. The stimulus And not that much. <laughs> the stimulus doesn't control you, so don't react to it automatically. And anyone who has an interest in stoicism will have already... Uh, experience that. The only person you have some control over is you. So let's jump to how to stop complaining. What are some of the negative side effects of complaining that I think a lot of complainers don't realize? There, There is not uh, any really, really good thing about complaining, but if there is, if there's one thing about complaining that is worth actually having something to say about um, when something isn't good enough and it's not working, the complaining should cause you to take action and do something about that. So that's the thing that you have to say. The one good thing about complaining is now we've surfaced this. Now we can go do something about it and we can make things better. But uh, there's a lot of downside. So for a lot of times, and I don't know if you're going to be able to take this, Doug, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. Sometimes you're the trigger for other people, their negativity. So did you know that occasionally that's you? Yeah, I hear it from listeners all the time. <laughs> and this and, and almost all the guests, but please go ahead. The 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 complaining that you do, the more that you do it, the more it starts to harm your relationships with yeah. the people in your family, with the people that you work with. And they start to find a way to try to get away from you because you are so negative and you're complaining all the time without doing anything about the complaining. So whatever the source of that is, then you need to deal with the source of it. And the complaining, 
listen, I will never throw the first stone here because if this was an Olympic sport complaining, I'd have like nine gold medals on my chest. Like I was a world-class complainer. And then I started to realize just how good it is here. And where else would you want to be? Like, this is great. Uh, Doug, have you ever had like ice cream? Yes. Pretty good, right? Yeah. You like books? I do. Pretty good, right? So what are you complaining about? Like, there's nothing to complain about. You got two things. That's pretty good. So I think that we should think more about what we're doing to other people when we complain. And if you can get rid of the complaining, which is, uh, that was relatively easy for me to do, is to stop complaining, because I didn't want to hear me complain anymore, and I stopped complaining. And I feel a lot better, I felt a lot better as soon as I did get rid of that. Um, It's easy to complain when things aren't what you want them to be, but if you can continue to complain, you're going to drive people away from you. Well, you are, and also, there are... I can't remember if this was in that section, but it, it there's there negative uh, effects on your health. Oh, sure. When when you start talking about the physical impact of negativity, it's really bad for you. It's bad for your immune system. It's bad for your mindset. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things. It's bad for your relationships. Uh, there's a whole number of things that you can actually cause other people to have harm too, just for complaining. Well, I want to just ask one other question from that chapter, and this is mainly for the people in the Boston area. You revealed in the book that the Grim Reaper is a New England Patriots fan. How did you learn this? I thought everybody knew that. You know, do you write these things thinking that, you know, Weisenheimer people like me who read it don't don't notice these things? <laughs> Some sometimes when you're writing, you're writing for your audience. <laughs> And then other times, you're just writing for you. Okay. <laughs> and and this, was for, this was just for me. I hope you enjoyed it, though. Did you? I just thought it was funny. I don't hate the Patriots, but I know a lot of people do. They're kind of uh, the Patriots and the Cowboys are two of the most popular, but also most despised teams. So, yeah, that was, uh, I thought that was interesting. And obviously, we can explore that in one of those bonus episodes that I might do with you. One of the thing from that, chapter that can be carved in stone is negativity is the only cancer that spreads by contact. I believe that to be true. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen one person, I'll say one salesperson that was unhappy with the CEO and and how he was running the sales team. And he originally had just him complaining after about a month he had a whole bunch of people complaining and they lost the whole sales force and he was the only one that still was on contract and he was on contract for a while. And then once that contract ended, he was gone and the whole sales force had to be uh, rebuilt simply because he was telling them so much negative things. Most of it wasn't true. He just wanted to make selling easier and uh, that wasn't going to happen just because of the model that they have. And, uh, that ended badly for a whole bunch of people. Um, you have to be very careful. So if you're in sales or you're a leader, you just have to pay very careful attention to these sort of things because you don't want one person to start turning a whole group of people into an obstacle for better results. The best thing for anyone to do is to figure out 
what the challenges are and then deal with them directly. And I'll keep saying that because it's that's what the science suggests. Yeah, take action. And that resonated with me because I've worked in some cancerous uh, situations. And so uh, I, I can read it in your book, but then I, I can also bring to mind stories from my own experience that uh, prove that uh, even more. So there's a chapter on gratitude, and this is sort of like where we were talking earlier about, you know, telling, not telling yourself lies, but just being more positive. Remind folks what the benefits are of practicing gratitude. It's another one of those things that almost seems too simple. When you start reading the science on gratitude, and I did a lot of that because when you read it, you're like, impossible. It's just impossible. Right, right. So, so you, it, will, it will make you happy. It'll improve your well-being. It will reduce depression or anxiety. It'll give you greater self-esteem. Uh, it will be much easier for, hand, for you handling stress. It will lower your blood pressure, uh, strengthen your immune system, reduce chronic pain and inflammation, which I have inflammation genetically, so I know that. And when you start reading this list, I don't even have half of the list here of all the claims around gratitude. It's so powerful. Um, and I think probably the best thing to, to talk about here would be uh, Marty Seligman's uh, Three Blessings um, yes. exercise. that he, he caused millions of people to do this because he was on Time Magazine's cover. And he had an entrepreneur that did the building of a, a survey. And all you have to do to do this, if there's one thing that you take from this podcast that just will make you feel a lot better is to just do the three blessings. So all you have to do at the end of the day, before you go to bed, write down three things that went well for you throughout the day. And then write what had to happen for that to be uh right for you. So that that's all you have to do. Um, what Seligman found, and, and this is a, the person who is the father of um, positive psychology. Uh, he, I think he was at Penn State. And if you do this for two weeks, and he had people do it for two weeks, they wrote every night, and they were no longer depressed or anxious or stressed after doing that for just two weeks. Um, I've had people do it longer. I've had people do six weeks. But what Seligman said after looking at all the data, he said that he believes that this single exercise that you can do in just a few minutes every night is more powerful than psychoanalysis or pharmaceuticals. And that's the person who actually created positive psychology. Everything before that was, uh, Doug, you're broken. You need an analyst, and you need some drugs. And he didn't believe that was true. He believed that there was a way to flourish without having to do any of those things. That one thing seems to work. I've done it with some people on my team, uh, one of my companies, and I thought we'd do it for two weeks, and people are still doing it uh, just because they like doing it. And, and, and they were sharing it with others it. too, right? Yeah, they're sharing with each other. And people were supporting them. And putting emojis up and notes b below whatever they wrote, it's been very good. So these are the things that uh, you should learn this 
in grade school. I mean, once once you know this about gratitude, you think, why wouldn't we be teaching people this very early in their life so they can have some control over their mental health and their mindset? Mm-hmm. Seligman's three blessings, I was not aware of. And it really resonated with me. And here's why. Years ago, I interviewed Joey Coleman the first time about his book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And at the end of that interview, I asked him about some other books, and he said the Gratitude Journal was one of the most powerful things he ever bought. And uh, so I bought the Gratitude Journal. And that's, I was, you write down what you're gra- grateful for each day. And the problem I had, which you started to touch on in the book, is that it became a bit redundant. Yes. And I ended up not continuing. But if you write down the three things that went well that day that you're grateful for, I it, it sort of unlocks something for me. So I look forward to to exploring it did, that. It did, it did for me too, because how many times are you going to say, I, I'm grateful for my wife, I'm grateful for my kids, I'm grateful for my family? You can do that over and over every single day, and that's going to be true every single day. Right. But- it's boring, and it doesn't seem to do the same thing with the three blessings because you have to think about what went good for you in that day. And then if you follow my advice in this one, if you start going backwards over those entries, you're going to go like, man, a lot of good things happened to yeah. me. <laughs> you know? and s- instead of just like, well, I've got this family. That's great. Okay. That's good. You should do a great job there. But what about the rest of your life? And what did go well for you? And then you start looking back and you go, there's a lot of entries here where really good things happened to me. And what you're trying to do with this is just overwhelm the negativity by having so much that you're grateful for that you have more positivity. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have negative spells because you will, but if you can if you can sort of weigh this out the other direction so that you've got more positivity, it's going to make you a lot happier, a lot healthier, and you're going to be able to help a lot more people. Also, it seemed that if you are banking those by writing them down, if you're feeling down, you could start to flip back through there and start to counteract some of that uh, bad day you're having. You're going to have a few, right? Yeah. Well, let's jump ahead. Tell us why a cancer diagnosis was the best thing that ever happened to you. Well, to to be fair, uh, I didn't have cancer. I just was (laughs) diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I had an arterial venous malformation when I was 25, and I lived in Los Angeles. And then I ended up uh, back in Columbus, Ohio, and I had two uh, brain surgeries, and I lost uh, the back part of my temporal lobe on the right side. Uh, That's your creative side, uh, allegedly, but I'm not sure that that's how this actually works. Um, But for me, it changed the trajectory of my life. And so when people say this, when they say something like, cancer was the best thing that happened to me, you're like, did you ever have a birthday party? I mean, do you, did you get married? Like, did you ever go on a date? Like, any of these things come to mind? Yeah, where's that gratitude, uh, Anthony? <laughs> yeah, and then they, they would say, like, no, cancer was the best thing. And what they're trying to describe is the trajectory of their life changing in such a different direction than they could have imagined 
that it is actually something valuable to them. And that, that's a really, really interesting thing. I, when I did the first time I did the negativity fast as a, a short 30 minute, uh, keynote at Outbound, when I said, people say that cancer is the best thing that ever happened to them, I had five people come up to me and say, uh, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, they, that's, that's how they feel because, their life went in a better direction after that event. And it's true for me. I tried to drop out of high school every day of my life. You're only allowed to miss like so many days. Uh, I think it was maybe 30 over the course of a year. I was at like 46 at the end of the year. I've somehow made it out of high school. But I went to college. I went to law school. I went to Harvard Business School. I had nine years of trying to figure out uh, if I was the scarecrow, you know, like I'm missing a brain. So I've got to do something to make sure I still have a brain that works very well. So that's what I did. It's an overreaction, mm. but it's been great for me. And I was so grateful to have another shot. I, when I was 19 years old, I was in bed and I believed that I would be dead by the time I was 25. Uh, the grand mal seizure I had was approximately uh, a week and a half after my 25th birthday. So how's that for a premonition? Mm. And uh, I'm now way past that. I've had a, a very good run, and uh, my life changed dramatically. But you can reframe these negative events. So whatever the trauma is, and all of us have some sort of traumas, you can you can look at those and try to find out how am I better? How am I stronger? How am I more prepared because of these traumas? So that's called uh, post-traumatic growth syndrome. So you know the other kind, but this is the kind that most people don't know. It's just now being studied. So there's very few papers about post-traumatic growth syndrome, but it does show up and it is now being studied because some people have the ability to take something that's super negative and then find the value in it and go forward stronger than they were before the trauma. Yeah. So that whole chapter on reframing negative events was, uh, was, was very interesting. I want to go to the chapter that I, I liked the best. Don't tell the other chapters I said that, but it just it, it really struck a nerve with me. And I want to read a quote. This is chapter 7. I want to read a quote from that. It's the chapter on how to live happily with political divisiveness. And this is why I left Facebook a few years ago. <laughs> I stopped watching any television news. So my point is, I hear you. Okay, so let me just quote from the beginning. I'm, I'm about 20 years into no news television, no television news. Yeah. So you write, here in the United States, we are experiencing extreme political divisiveness. We are sharply divided by our differing opinions, ideologies, beliefs, and political values. Over time, our news channels, our social media, and our politicians have led us to a place where we are now two warring factions destabilizing our society. Both sides accuse the other of destroying our country and risking our democracy when the real danger is political divisiveness. As I've already confessed, I am post-political. Current U.S. political discourse is coarse and wholly unproductive, with many politicians telling voters they need, quote, someone that will fight for you, end quote. 
Great. So our leaders argue, demean each other, make false accusation, and, ob- and obstruct any initiative that belongs to the other side. The only consensus in our politics is that Democrats and Republicans hate each other. You can and should vote for the people who represent your politics and values, but you will be more negative if you make politics your identity or worse, your religion. First, you are more than your politics when you allow yourself to be consumed by political arguments, fear-mongering, and the talking points of the day. Less of you is left for things that are arguably more important. Channel your energy on what you value most and what brings you joy. To clarify, feeling schadenfreude when your side wins a petty argument or election doesn't count as joy. Second, a focus on politics will all but ensure you are more negative than positive. So a few years ago, on election day in 2016 here in the U.S., where the presidential election was between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I voted, and then I flew to Boston to the inbound conference. Anyway, most polls indicated leading up to the election that Hillary Clinton would win. But by that night, the election results, or however the experts determined, they were not as conclusive. So there was some uncertainty in the air. And the opening keynote address that evening was by Gary Vaynerchuk. And it was really cool because I got to meet him before him. I'd never met him. Nice guy. Yeah, just just amazing. And I want to play two segments from the very, very beginning of his address that are still with me today. I'm really excited about tonight. It's a very special day in our amazing country. And for me, it's especially special because I wasn't born in the US. I was born in the Soviet Union. I came here as a little boy. Uh, Both my grandfathers spent substantial time in jail just because they were Jewish. And I know that there's a lot of tension and different beliefs about what should happen tonight. But the fact that we're even able to vote and to be in this amazing country is something that we have lost perspective for. And I'm very thankful to be here tonight. File that under gratitude. Absolutely. He then went on to say this, and this is what really, I was so encouraged by it, and I, was, uh, I still haven't forgotten it. If you were sitting in this room tonight, and you believe that whether Donald or Hillary wins impacts you, you're a motherfucking loser. And I want to explain this. We are so lucky to be here in this playing ground where the impact of the president only has so much impact on you because the reality is we are dramatically, and I mean dramatically, more in control of our lives than the media pounds down our throats. And so I hope if anything, if anything, whether you're 16 or 97 and you leave here tonight, you understand how unbelievable our opportunity is to play in this ecosystem. So talk about how politics make people so negative, and I, it's, it's like the, the fish in water. It's like explaining water to a fish. They just don't understand. I don't think a lot of people realize just how destructive the politics are uh, and, and how they make people so negative these days. So one, one of the things that happened in our lives is that the news media on cable 
decided to pursue a different business model. And the business model was we're going to have one part of the narrative and dropping anything about anything that might be, let's say, not useful for the narrative. And then half of the other people, so that's, let's say, the Fox News group, they've decided they're going to take the conservatives. And then MSNBC is going to take the the uh, the more liberal or progressive people. And what they've done is literally split them into two warring uh Factions. That that's something that the founding fathers didn't want was these factions, but that's what we've got. And so what they do is they speak. Uh, let me say it this way: they feed their audience the fears that that audience already has. That's what they do. So the other guys are the bad guys; they're your enemies. Uh, these are the good guys; these are the bad guys, and that's a horrible thing to do. So if you walk outside. And you talk to your neighbor. Do you ever go like, you know what? I hate you because you've got this sign in your front yard. Like that stuff's happening. And and maybe you dropped Facebook like a lot of other people simply because you watched somebody um, unfriend their parents over a political argument. Have you ever seen that? I've, I've heard about that sort of thing. I've seen it. It's disgusting. You're like, that's your parents. They have a different uh, opinion than you do on politics, and you're going to unfriend them? (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. So this is how sick we are over politics. So between the internet, uh, cable news, social media, uh, algorithms on YouTube or wherever you're you're going out and consuming social media, it feeds that. It just continues to feed it. If you like to look at something like the fake moon landing, uh, after that you'll be a flat earther in no time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will continue to show you this until you start to believe these things are true. But you don't want to hate your parents, and you don't want to hate your neighbors, and you don't want to have any difficulty with people just because they're going to make a different vote than you would. It doesn't make any sense. But here's what I would tell you. If you continue to ingest this, what you're doing is poisoning your mindset. Yes. You are literally poisoning your mindset. It's very destructive for you. It's destructive for other people. And we have to find a way to not accept this from... Uh, our political class, like, and you've seen some of that in the last uh, week or so, right? Oh, yeah, but every week, and it's it's tiresome, and it was just f- funny to me how after I left the social media, uh, the Facebook uh, stuff, it, I just I just started feeling better. You know, it's like I had been a cigarette smoker, and then I stopped, and I started feeling better. <laughs> <laughs> because I have never been a cigarette smoker, but I've heard from folks who were able to stop smoking, and they said it actually, it, it was just altogether better for them. There's a couple things from here I want to quote. You write, unless you would try converting your friends and neighbors to change their religion from Lutheranism to the Church of Satan, there is no reason to try arguing them into adopting your political position. But you write, if you are brave enough to become post-political, I can assure you it will reduce your negativity. Spend one weekend reading each candidate's positions, vote in November, and then leave it for two years, uh, at which time you will enjoy feeling better. And, 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 and you also talk about how, the, how the, the effect of politics on your health 
is is now uh, relatively well understood. One of the things I found yeah. very helpful is that you, you say that if a pol- uh, political friend or a acquaintance tries to invite you into an argument, you bow out by saying, you win, I gave up politics. <laughs> Either that or I'd say, you know, I haven't studied that. Sounds yes. like you have. So, yeah, like I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to argue with him. What what are what are What's we going to do in, in an argument like that? What's the point? There isn't anyone. We're not changing each other's minds. You know, one thing I've found mm-hmm. that works well is when somebody will be complaining about some politician, let's say. What works really well, and I hope my friends aren't listening, I'll say, who is that you're talking about? <laughs> Unless it's the president or somebody that's really, really well known, it completely diffuses that they'll just immediately think, well, I'm not going to get anywhere with him because he obviously doesn't follow this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So. And when people, when I tell them to get rid of the politics and the, the news, they're like, well, how am I going to know if something goes on? You never have to worry. You're going to have a whole bunch of people make sure that you know, and you don't have to even think about it. They're going to tell you this happened, and they're going to want you to be outraged like they are, and you don't have to be outraged. No, you I mean, don't have to. There may be a time for it, but I would say if you can get rid of this, uh, you'll feel a whole lot better. I can tell you being post-political is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my whole life because I, I am completely clear from no arguments, no no discussions, no conflict with uh, family members or anybody. Like, I just don't want it. it. It's not, I'm not changing anybody's mind. I'm not doing anything uh, like I'm doing right now. Like, I would rather have you spend your time trying to remove the sources of negativity than in consuming more of them. Right. And I think one of the strengths of this book is it helps you identify them <laughs> and the fact that they're all around. Speaking of that, uh, you have another chapter on social media itself, and we, we can't avoid this, but explain what you mean when you say spreading negativity is what social media does best. All you have to do to see this is go to, um, used to be Twitter, now X. All you have to do is see everything that gets put on X, almost everything, let's say, it's always something controversial. It's always something to get likes or clicks or whatever people want. But I think that this is a, a serious problem for us, that social media um, is a place where it's very easy to spread negativity. And there's already enough negativity, so we don't need to do that. So mm-hmm. if you're going to put anything on X or if you have Facebook or Instagram— Make it the most positive thing that you can. Yes. Because some of us have to do that because we have to push back on this. And I think it's an important thing for us to do is to try to get rid of the polarization that we have. That We have so much polarization. It's just very difficult. And there's a whole bunch of things. I think the one in this uh, chapter, Doug, that bothered me the most was the thing from CNN where when young boys go on to TikTok, the first thing they get is something about uh, whether they want to take their own lives. And if not, then they go to body image things. That's the first two things that they get. That's from uh, CNN. It's in the end of that chapter. Mm -hmm. And when you think about we're letting our children go out to this platform, 
where we know within the first 15 seconds that's what they're treated to. Uh, it's very, very bad for us. I'm sure of this right now. And um, so far, I've not found any evidence that anybody's doing anything about it. Yeah, and it's and it's it's tied in with the politics thing, but it's negative. And the the thing about social media is, I think it is like the news, the television news, where I, I, this week I sent you an article that Ryan Holiday wrote a couple years ago called something like, for the love of God, please stop watching television news. And I'll include a link to it in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. But he talks about how when you're in a casino, they don't, you can't see outside and they don't want, they don't have any clocks. They don't want you to sense that there's a, a passing of time. And he said the news uh, media is doing the exact same thing. <laughs> they want you to sit there angry and filled with those, probably those same chemicals to watch Fear. the commercials. Yeah. Fear. Before we wrap up, let me ask you about forgetting your problems and concerns. One day you went to your local Humane Society and you bought every dog. But I didn't keep them, to, <laughs> to be fair. Okay, well, explain, explain. Talk about the ultimate effect it had on you. Well, first, it's, oh, all I can tell you is that if you go out and you go to the Humane Society and you buy, let's say, nine dogs like I did, um, you feel great for doing that. And they're so grateful at the Humane Society that you gave them, I don't know, 1500 bucks or something like that, maybe a little bit more. Um, then they took a picture of me with a big white pit bull. And uh, what happened was they put that on their, their website on, and put it on Facebook. And after I saw it go by, there was a story underneath the picture of that. And some woman came in and bought all of the cats. Doug, I don't know how many cats that was. <laughs> Maybe 90, 70,000. I don't know how many oh, cats wow. are in there. A lot of cats. She bought all of them because she didn't know that you could buy the cats so that other people could just take them. Mm -hmm. That's why I do it. I buy the dogs. I'm like a Bales bondsman for dogs right. occasionally. And you will go and, to heaven for that. <laughs> I hope so. I'll make the rainbow bridge, huh? Yeah. But she bought all of those. And then my friends saw these and they said, you can just go in and buy two dogs or three dogs. And then at Christmas, I had a half a dozen friends just go in and buy more dogs. And I think that that, they didn't know that you could do that, but it helps them tremendously. And we just got a note on uh, Facebook yesterday that they're out of dog food, and uh, we're sending them dog food from Amazon uh, right now because they need help. It's not something that gets a lot of attention and a lot of money, but it will make you feel really good about yourself when you go and help people like this that are helping these animals. Uh, or if you like humans... Go to a, a, a homeless shelter and bring them food or go to a pantry and bring them food or dish out uh, food for them, anything that you can do. You're going to forget about yourself when you're focusing on helping other people. Like you literally lose yourself because you're just focused on helping that person in that moment or even those animals in that moment. And it's really, really amazing how fast the part that you were concerned about you, if you were negative, that goes away really quick. Yeah, it's amazing. And I I was reminded of this. And, you know, I, I thought back to, I get these little hits of, of this throughout the day. 
some some days where I'll I'll hear from a listener I've never heard from before and they'll say can you suggest a book or a resource for this specific thing and very often well I'll give you an example somebody said I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my salespeople. <laughs> I said, you've got to read Leading Growth. I send them a link to an interview, and then they respond back and say, oh, thank you. That is so helpful. That is exactly what I needed. And I get a real a real high from that. And it it's probably better than drugs. And just this week, I've been um, ch- chatting, as I do with a lot of listeners on LinkedIn, and I reached out to some of uh, my listener friends in Israel, just to kind of check on them and let them know I'm thinking about them. And one guy said, I, I'd really appreciate if we could talk. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to do and uh, about my business and so forth. And we must have spoken for an hour and a half. And he said it was really helpful and it really, it was great. And I tell you what, I think I benefited 10 times more than he did, just knowing that I was being able to help him. I'm not sure I understand the science on this yet. Um, I've not been able to to find a way to talk about it, but it does more for us than it does for the other person. Absolutely. And, and I think it's because we, like, there's no, we don't have any purpose in this life until we figure out what our, our purpose is in this life. And then when you're, you're helping other people, for some reason, it, it's so good for us that I don't, I don't know um, all the the science on that, but there's definitely science about this. But it, it does do something probably more for us than it does for the person that we're helping. I think so. And you know, when you talk about how when you're being negative, if you can just take action, another one in your hip pocket there is go do something for somebody. Yeah, <laughs> it just oh, it's great. Well, Anthony, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Start to think about what you want your life to look like and how much of the time that you're spending in negativity right now, and then start doing something about that so that you can feel better. If that's the one thing that you do, uh, that would be plenty enough. Yeah, it's like a negativity audit or something where you can, after re- you read this, you start to realize all this negativity. I've got one that's going to be published here pretty soon. The negativity audit? Yeah. Oh, maybe you fed that to me and I forgot to... You see how it works? It already worked its way into my uh, subconscious. So that's another book you might be working on called The Negativity Audit? I've, I've already built the audit. So um, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm, I'm well, you better, get, you better come back on this book. show. <laughs> you can't leave people hanging. Oh my goodness. question is, is could I sneak a book in on Jeb <laughs> without him knowing... And then we don't even say anything. We just do it. Yeah. And then you go to Jeb and you go, how you like me now? (laughs) He'll write two more the next day. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's great for me. And it's even better for the listeners that these authors are getting very competitive. As a matter of fact, Joe Polizzi, Cleveland, he said, he found out another author friend has been on like nine times. And he said, well, that's going to (laughs) change. So he's he says, I'm stepping up my book right. He's already written a number of books, but he says, I'm going to start writing more because I cannot let that guy get ahead of me. <laughs> so anyway, is there one thing a listener could do today just to get started, just to get the ball rolling down the hill, to put action from one of the ideas we've talked about? 
If I could say one thing, it would be the three blessings. Yes. Because gratitude is so powerful. Yes. Uh, that's that's the one. If you want to do that, do the the three blessings. Yes. Oh, great advice. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Feel free not to mention Jeb Blunt. Well, I have to because we're writing a book together. So we, <laughs> oh, that's you're going right. to find out about that. So I, I need to say Jeb Blunt and I are writing a book called AI Edge, and we're, we're writing that right now. So oh, and we got wow. another one on the back of that one. So just hang tight on there. I would recommend a couple books for people right now that would be uh, really, really good for you if you want to understand the world right now. So the first one is called uh, The End of the World is Just the Beginning by Peter Zeehan. Mm-hmm. It's a 500-page book. It's a monster. If you listen to it on Audible, it's 17 hours. I did it at 1.25. Uh, it's perfect. He's probably the best person I've ever heard do an Audible book. I've not heard anybody with a better performance than his. Was he reading it? Yeah, he read it. Okay. Yeah. There's another book called Generations, which goes through all the generations that we have alive right now and what we know about them, and it's not what we thought was going to happen. Uh, that's a really interesting book. And then there's a, a book from a military guy named Thomas Barnett on America's New Map. And all of these books will help you understand how to survive and thrive in, let's say, the next uh, two decades. Uh, Just so people know, 78 million people are baby boomers. Every day in the United States, 10,000 of them turn 65. By 2030, they're gone. There is no population in any generation large enough to take care of these people because there's so many of them and so few of us. And globalization is coming to a halt. So uh, if you want to be prepared, you want to read books like these. Mm, Great recommendations. I should also add that at the end of your book, there's a list of other books and uh, all the citations, obviously, and and the resources for anyone who needs more immediate mental health help. In fact, I think you've got phone numbers at the very beginning of the book uh, for folks that need help. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, uh, I'm, I'm not a, a psychiatrist of any kind. I'm just a person who studies mindsets and I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about, uh, where we are. So I do think that these are just practical strategies that will make a, a negativity fast a lot easier for you. So what I noticed when I've done with this, with groups is that if you don't get rid of the complaining and you don't start reframing some of those stuff, that stuff can hang around a long time. So I, I put these together so that when we got to the negativity fast, uh, you can do it because you've already gotten part of the, the, let's say the largest part is you. So if you can fix that part on your way to your negativity fast, you're going to have a much better success. Mm-hmm. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, uh, all the books you've mentioned, your website, your LinkedIn profile, and so forth. Folks. Listeners, please reach out to Anthony and thank him for coming back on the Marketing Book Podcast. We've already talked about what a struggle it is for him to talk to stupid people. No, I'm kidding. We've, Anthony, you clarified that. You clarified that. I appreciate that. But listeners, uh, I want you to understand that the guests tell me that they hear from Marketing Book Podcast listeners, and they like that. They like getting questions. They like to know which podcasts they're on. Obviously, Anthony's heard from enough of you that he continues to come back on this show, but when he doesn't hear from you, you know, it's all going to dry up for us, so help me out, folks. And 
If you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. The book is The Negativity Fast, Proven Techniques to Increase Positivity, Reduced Fear, and Boost Success. The author is Anthony Anarino. Anthony, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Will I be invited back next time? Yes, you will. You're, you're always welcome. Thanks so much. You know what? I think this is the best show I've ever done. And you know what? I deserve it because I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune.